title of this message is called Silencing the Storms of Life. And really, I, was in, uh, I wasn't in Mark 1 when I was looking at this. I think I was in Mark 5. And then I began to realize that uh, it was dealing with storms. And um, if, it would have been nice if it all fit in, in Mark 5, but it didn't. There's a little bit in Mark 4, and then we're going to go to Mark 5. Uh, but we're going to look at different storms that Jesus silenced in life. But I'm going to begin with Mark chapter 1, verses 21 through 27 where it says, uh, they, Jesus and his disciples, went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and he taught. And they, the people that were in a synagogue, were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Then they were all amazed, so that they questioned among themselves, saying, what is this? What new doctrine is this? For with authority he commands even the unclean spirits, and they obeyed him. So, uh, kind of a little bit of background. According to custom, Jesus enters the synagogue on the Sabbath and he begins to teach. Uh, Jewish synagogues were similar to what our churches are now. They were assembly halls where the law was read and expounded. Uh, there was only, uh, in a synagogue, uh, in the temple, when you think of the temple, the temple was a different thing. That was in Jerusalem. It was a, a big place. It was a um, one place where tr the, the ark of God was, where the presence of God was, and that's where the priests and the Levites, uh, that's where they did uh, their work. But not everybody could go to the temple every week because uh, Israel was a big place and it was in one city. So what they would have is they would have uh, synagogues. And anywhere where you had 10 or more men, um, you could have a synagogue. And in the synagogue, they didn't always have priests or Levites there. They had a ruler of the synagogue. And the ruler of the synagogue really was in charge of the place. He didn't really preach or teach the law. However, he would allow people to teach and preach the law. And uh, on occasion, it fell to the laity, the people that were in the uh, uh, part of the synagogue, to teach and to expound. And so on this occasion, it was Jesus. So the teaching uh, that, that they hear, the congregation hears from Jesus, to them, it's unlike anything they've heard before. Uh, the reaction of those in attendance ranged from astonishment to disbelief. The only possible standard to which Jesus' teaching might be compared is to that of the scribes. That's, in fact, what it says. He doesn't teach as the scribe. So who are the scribes? Well, scribes were a group of people that came into being that their chief function began with copying, uh, 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 making copies of, of scripture, writing it down and making copies and had these elaborate rules that they followed. But if, when that's your job and that's all you do, guess what? You get pretty good at that, but you also get pretty good at the material because they weren't copying like books after books after books. They were copying the, the Torah. They were copying the Bible, right? And so they got so familiar with the, the Word of God, they actually became teachers of the Torah, and uh, their, their reputation was so honored by the people that, that they were actually called many times rabbi. Um, so scribes were, first of all, experts in the law. Second, they were teachers of the law. And finally, they were legal experts. They knew how to apply the law to different situations in life. So the very primary seats or the first seats in the synagogues were reserved for scribes and the people rose to their feet whenever the scribe entered into a room and uh, Mark's statement that Jesus taught as one who had authority not as the scribes or the teachers of the law is less of a criticism of the scribes than an approval of what Jesus was saying and how he went around teaching. 
So as we see in our text, Mark's use of the word authority at the outset of Jesus' ministry establishes his authority over the highest authorities in both the earthly realm, as represented by the scribes, and supernatural authorities, as we will see later on in this particular chapter where he casts a demon out of a person, and they say, what kind of authority has God given to men, right? Just as a policeman has the authority to subdue a situation, just as the judge has the authority to silence an unruly courtroom, Jesus also had the authority to subdue and silence the chaos, the enemy, through his way, and he still has the authority through his people to silence any chaos the enemy throws our way. What I want to focus on today is the authority that Jesus demonstrated as he silenced some of the raging storms that people back then were experiencing in life, and then I want to give you hope that just as he silenced the storms of that day, he can also silence the storms of today. Okay, so the first thing we're going to look at is in Mark chapter 4, verses 35 through 41, and the title of this, or this point is Silencing a Natural Storm. So in this text, it says, On the same day, when evening had come, he said to his disciples, Let's go to the other side. Let us cross over to the other side. I want you to notice, uh, even though I'm not going to teach on this today, this is not a, hey, let's go out and get some lunch. This is a command. Let's go to the other side. You have to remember, Jesus is the Word of God, speaking the Word of God. Okay? Now, when they had left the multitude, they took him, Jesus, along in the boat as he was, and other little boats were also with him. And a great storm, a great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the boat so that it was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on a pillow. Now, I want you to also recognize that these are fishermen used to being on a sea they've been through many storms have you ever seen deadliest catch anybody ever seen that i love to watch that show i'm talking about 30 foot waves oh it's going to be 80 you know uh the wind's blowing at 60 knots oh it's a it's a typhoon is coming you know and they're just mm, bouncing along you know and you know uh you're on a boat you, you get the the opportunity to get seasick you know we're watching it on tv but the, the waves are so big it's amazing i don't get seasick at home it's, it's, it's incredible. So sailors are used to being on, on tempestuous uh, uh, waters. They're used to being in storms. So this one must have been pretty bad, right? And so, um, but he was in the stern. They, uh, you know, uh, uh, the waves beat into the boat, uh, so that it was already filling, but he, Jesus, was in the stern asleep on a pillow. And they awoke and said to him, uh, woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we're perishing? Have you ever thought that Jesus didn't care about what you were going through? It's not true, right? But he arose, and what happened when, he got the, when they got his attention? He arose, and he rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And guess what happened? The wind ceased, and there was a great calm. But he said to them, Why are you so afraid? Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? You might think to yourself, Why would he tell them that? Because he said, We're going to the other side. When Jesus issues a command, when he says, this is the word of God, that's what's going to happen. Now, the enemy will always throw obstacles in our way. There will always be things in life that will say, you cannot. And you're going to have to either believe the circumstances that say you cannot, or you're going to have to believe the word that Jesus has given. Right? That's faith. Faith is not believing God simply when everything goes right. 
It is, can be faith. We're not saying it can be faith. But faith is believing God when everything is going wrong. Faith is trusting and believing God when nothing is going like Jesus said it was going to go. Faith is believing God when fear is all around you. Faith is believing God when your mind is full of unbelief. Faith is trusting in what God said, no matter what anything else is presently screaming at you in life. What was the storm screaming? You're not going to the other side. It was saying to them, you're going to die today. You're going to end up at the bottom of the lake. That's what the storm is screaming. And so they woke Jesus up, and he spoke peace to the storm. And Jesus turns to them and says, what gives, guys? That's not in the Bible. It's my interpretation. He says to them, How, why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? And the Bible says they feared exceedingly and said to one another, who can this be that even the wind and the sea obey him? So I, I, I like this text. I like what it says. And in this text, the disciples are obeying Jesus and going to the other side. As they go, they're confronted by a great storm that was threatening to bring an end to their mission and even their lives. In desperation, no longer able to handle the storm, they reach out to Jesus. He gets up, speaks to the storm, tells the winds to be silent, and the seas to be still. Immediately, the storm responds to his authority, and the disciples marvel at the peace that ensues. Jesus is the King of Kings, made visible. He is God in the flesh. And he had and continues to have the authority and the power to deal with any storm that life throws our way. Doesn't matter what people say or comment. It doesn't matter what anybody says is about to happen. I want you to know that Jesus has the authority and the power to bring peace to any storm that would come your way. In this case, it was a natural, physical storm, and Jesus demonstrated the authority, and in that authority, the power to deal with that in response to the cajoling, the uh, requests, let's say it this way, the prayers of the people that woke him to action. Are you hearing what I'm saying? I don't believe that God sleeps. I don't believe that God is, is uh, uh, you know, in the heavenly realms, we're going to apply this to God uh, himself, that God is like, oh, I'm so tired from creating the earth. Oh, I need a, I need a couple of millennia to catch up on my beauty sleep. God, the Bible says that God knows the hairs on your head. God knows everything about you. He's omniscient. He knows everything. So you're not going to catch God by surprise. But sometimes God is stirred. We need to understand that what stirs God is the prayers of his people. Do you believe him? Do you trust him? When you're going through difficulties, do you run to the, the world? Do you run to the counsel of those that have no idea who God is? Or do you run to God? Right? We are, we are Christians. We are followers of Christ. Understand that. But we're still people. We still get afraid. We still have doubts. We still go through difficulties. We still have pains. We still struggle. We still get mad. We still go to deal with unforgiveness. We deal with all these kind of things. When you go through these things, and you will, if you haven't, you will. 
When you deal with these things, what do you do? Do you run to God and say, God, I, it seems to me like you're not listening to me right now. It seems to me like you're paying attention, but I know that you are, and I'm not going to let you go until you move on my behalf. I'm not going to let you go until you do something in my life. I'm not going to let you go until you are stirred to speak to this storm. Are you hearing what I'm saying? And I want you to know that God is awesome. Sorry, T.R., I know you have that patented, but... God is not without recourse. God... I'm reminded of... And I know we're dealing with a natural storm here, but I'm reminded of a situation in my life. Some of y'all have heard, and others have not. Where I, I just have not been good in my life with resources for the long term. And, you know, when you're young, you don't think you're going to get old. <laughs> when you're old, you're going like, oh my goodness, why didn't I think about this when I was younger? And uh, you get to a certain place where you realize, I'm not going to have what I need in the natural realm to take care of me and my family as we get older. We're, we're just not going to have it. And then, and then you're going like, what am I going to do? And you, you lament, you get discouraged, you wonder what you're going to do, you try to keep your focus on today, you try to go to the scriptures that say today, uh, you know, don't worry about tomorrow, worry about today, the, you know, and, and the truth is, uh, you know, there's a lot of people that have right now 401ks and all that kind of stuff, and your 401ks are tanking, right? No tanks to anybody in government. <laughs> <laughs> and you say, man, I did everything right. And look what's happening. I'm not going to be able to do anything. Well, in my particular case, I did a lot of things wrong. And I was lamenting. He said, well, where are you, what are you, what are you, gonna, where are you leading with this? Well, I was praying about it one day. And I said, Lord, you know I wasn't very good. And I'm, I'm, I'm not incompetent in all areas of my life. But in some areas, I'm just not as good as other areas, right? And, um, and so, anyway, I said, Lord, you, you know I didn't do so good here, and I don't know what we're going to do in life. And the Lord stopped me, set me in my track, stopped right there, and he said, what's my name? And I said, well, you got lots of names. And I, but I knew what he was talking about. He said, you're Jehovah Jireh. He said, that's right. I'm the Lord your provider. He said, I'm, I'm the Lord your provider if you do everything right, and I'm the Lord your provider if you do everything wrong. He said, I am the Lord your provider. That doesn't change. I knew from the beginning of time what you were going to do. I knew what you were going to do right, and I knew what you were going to do wrong. And I'm still Jehovah Jireh. I'm your provider. You don't earn anything with God. doesn't mean we shouldn't be good stewards. You don't earn anything with God. God is not provider because we've earned it. God is provider because it's who he is. And I want to tell you something. I have two daughters, but if I had multiple children, both of my daughters do pretty good, uh, but if I had many children and some of them were good with money and some of them were not, uh, I'm going to do as much for the one that is as much as, as I am for the one that's not because they're all my children. Why do we think anything less of God? Right? If we who are evil do good things for our kids. How much more is God, who is good, 
going to provide for us and take care of us and do whatever it is that we need in life. He is a good God. And so anyway, uh, I just, uh, how I got off on that is it's like sometimes we think, hey, man, if I do everything right, I really don't know how I got off on that, but let's see if I can get back. God is, God is, oh yeah, God is capable and able and willing and willing to meet you at whatever crisis you have in life, whatever storm you have in life, are we willing to call on him? Are we willing to do like the disciples did and say, Jesus, I need you now. I need you to overcome. He's sleeping. Well, wake him up. Well, he's still sleeping. Wake him up. Like the unjust judge and the widow that said that she, do we have faith like her that's willing to go until the judge says, hey, I, I got to do something or this woman's going to wear me out. We got to have faith. We got to trust. And I want you to know that one day God will stand up and he will say, peace, be still. I saw that happen. I saw that happen when I first got here. I think it was a year or two after we first got here. There was a big hurricane came through. There's been so many. I don't know the name of it anymore. But it's the one where people were stuck on the freeway for 35 hours, you know, all that kind of stuff. Well, I got up to Fort Worth um, because I left before everybody else. I, I'll be honest with you. I called everybody. I told everybody. And then everybody kind of did what they needed to do and took their time. I, I got my job done and we were out of here and I'm grateful. It took us seven hours to get forward so we had two more hours but at least we weren't 35 hours. It's not because I left before you guys it's because I said hey we're, uh, I took care of all my duties and I'm gone. But I'm up in Fort Worth. I'm sitting, resting in a house, I'm, and, and I'm sitting in a, in a bed, and I say uh, to the Lord, and again, I, I tell stories over and over again, but they tell me that's what happens when you get older. <laughs> but they tell me also that the younger generation likes to hear these stories over and over and over again. And y'all are going, I don't know who told you that. But I'm sitting in a bed. And I'm thinking about this Category 5 hurricane. It wasn't Category 1, 2, 3, 4. It was Category 5. And it was destined to hit right over here in Freeport. It was coming right over the plant. Right? We lived in Richwood. All right? So, um, and I'm thinking to myself, I'm not going to have a church to go back to. I'm not going to have a house to go back to. Right? What about all the people that live there? What about the town? And all of a sudden, it began to hit me. It, it, it was, it, before, it was just kind of... Do what you got to do. You know, we've been through this before. Get out of it. And all of a sudden, it hit me. This is going to be bad. And I said, God, I said, move that storm. And it was not a long prayer. It was not a lengthy prayer. And I'm sure that there were many other people praying the same prayer, and God spoke the same thing to them. So I don't take credit for God moving that storm. But here's what the Lord spoke to me. I can't prove it to you I, until we get to heaven, and then God will confirm what I heard. But I felt like the Lord said, because you asked me, son, I'm going to move that storm. And that storm went from a five to a two or a one, and it went, whoop, and it moved. And I think they got some wind, very little rain, and so he said, well, you just said that after it moved. No, I'm telling you, this is the Lord. This is what the Lord spoke to me, right? And, and so what, what am I trying to prove with that? God has the power to deal with and silence natural storms in life. Now, I'm focusing on the natural here because I want to get to the second part. The second part is Jesus silenced a demonic storm. All right, Mark 5, 1 through 8. Jesus came to the other side of the sea to the country of the Gadarenes, and when he'd come out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. 
who had his dwelling among the tombs, and no one could bind him, not even with chains, because he had often been bound with shackles and chains, and the chains had been pulled apart by him, and the shackles broken in pieces, neither could anyone tame him. And always, night and day, he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying out and cutting himself with stones. So, what I want you to see here is that this man is in a storm. He's crying out, torment and fear, because the storm, this demonic thing was tormenting in his life. You know what they call a storm? A torment. Right? It's tormenting his life. It's, it's coming up against him. And always night and day, he was in the mountains crying out and cutting himself. And when, Jesus, uh, when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and worshipped him. And he cried out with a loud voice and said, What have I had to do with you, Jesus? So the man came to worship Jesus, but the demon is trying to stop him. And the demon says, What do I have to do with you, Jesus, Son of the Most High? I implore you by God that you do not torment me. The tormentor does not want to be tormented by the Son of God. Isn't that amazing? For Jesus said to him, Come out of that man, you unclean spirit. And we'll jump down to verse 14. So those who fed the swine fled, and they told it in the city and in the country, and they went out to the sea, uh, uh, went out to see what it was that had happened. Then they came to Jesus and saw the one who had been demon-possessed and had the legion sitting and clothed and in his right mind. What did, how, what did Jesus do? He silenced the demonic storm in this man's life. And they were afraid. And those who saw it told them how it happened to him who had been demon-possessed and about the swine. So here we have a man, again, that is in the middle of a storm, if you will. His life is in chaos and tumultuous as he battles with the demonic entities that bring torment into his life. Jesus makes an appearance in the life of this man, and when he perceives Jesus, he runs to him and falls down at his feet. The storm of the demonic tries to intervene and keep this man from peace, but Jesus issues the command for the storm in his life to cease. Demon, be gone. And the demons who were causing the chaos were silenced and expelled. What we find then is that this man's stormy life was turned upside down, and now he found himself sitting, clothed, and in his right mind. Can we just say bluntly, he was at peace. John 10 and 10 says, The thief comes but to steal, kill, and to destroy. 1 Peter 5 and 8, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks around like a roaring lion, causing fear, causing great tumultuousness, causing all this stuff in your life, seeking whom he may devour. And then in verse 27, our verse says that when they were all amazed, they, they were all amazed so that they questioned among themselves, saying, who is this? What new doctrine is this? For with authority he commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. That's in chapter 1. Uh, not necessarily in that chapter. So what had happened was Jesus came in. We saw the very first point, silence the natural storm. This man's being tormented by devils. And what did Jesus do? He issued a command. Remember, this guy has authority. I say this guy, the son of God, Jesus himself, my savior, my Lord, my God, has authority to issue a command and silence the demons in this man's life. And I want you to know today that whether you believe it or not, there are still demons and they still torment people and they still cause storms in people's life. I want you to know that there is a savior and there is the Lord. His name is Jesus. He's sitting at the right hand of the Father. Jesus is King of Kings and is powerful and at a command of the Lord. And here's the other thing. We're not going to teach about it too much tonight, but here's the other thing. How does God issue his commands today? Through people that serve him.
right? So Jesus wants to cast out a demon out of somebody. They're usually the church, the instruments of God, that they will say, come out in the name of Jesus. And just as Jesus has authority, he's given us authority. And it's not our authority, it's his authority that we function under. But at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that he is Lord. You hear what I'm saying? So third thing we're going to look at, he also has the authority and the power to silence a storm of affliction. Mark 25 through 34. Now a certain woman had a flow of blood for 12 years and had suffered many things from many physicians. She had spent all she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came behind him in the crowd and touched his garment, for she said, If I'll only I may touch his clothes, I shall be made well. Immediately the fountain of her blood was dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of the affliction. Uh, uh, and Jesus, immediately knowing himself that power had gone out of him, turned around in the crowd and said, Who touched my clothes? But his disciples said to him, You see the multitude thronging you, and you say, Who touched me? And he looked around. <laughs> it's, like, it's like, man, I hope I never talked to the Lord that way, but I'm sure I have. Um, but he looked around and he, and, uh, you know, uh, to see who, who had done this thing. But the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. So this woman had entered into a storm that had been raging in her life for 12 long years. I don't know if anybody's here ever been through a long-term affliction, but I want you to know that thing causes chaos in your life. It turns your life upside down. You ever had a storm come through, and all of a sudden you forgot to take stuff in from outside, and everything's turned over, your, your plants are messed up, your lawn chairs are somewhere, somewhere else, your, gar your garden hose that you should have put up is in a neighbor's yard, and, and I mean, you got everything's everywhere, right? So that's what happens when a storm of affliction comes in your life. It throws everything into chaos. You've got to change things. You've got to toss things out. You've got to clean. I mean, it's incredible what people have to go through when they're suffering an affliction right? This storm wasn't a natural storm, uh, but what I call a storm of affliction. That is, she was being harassed by a physical illness, an ailment that was bringing destruction, devastation, and leading towards death in her life. It was during this storm whose effects had stripped her of almost everything she possessed that she heard that Jesus was passing her way. Hearing the testimonies of those who had been healed by Jesus, I'm elaborating, I'm extrapolating, but I believe that's what heard. She heard the testimonies of people that had been to see Jesus in the countryside. They'd come back. They couldn't move their arm before they could now. They couldn't walk before they could now. They couldn't see before they could now. And when Jesus was coming by, she said, I got to get to Jesus. And she pushed through the obstacles to get to the place where she could get close to him and touch him. In fact, the scripture says, if I can only touch the hem of his garment, she said, I know I will be healed. Now, some people struggle with this idea of positive confession. You know, well, positive confession, you're just confessing. No, I believe in declaring what, you, what the word of God says, and I believe I would rather in my life have positive confession than negative confession. We're too often confessing negative things. Oh, nothing's good going to happen out of this. Nothing's good is going to come out of this. I'll never get this, or this is never going to happen. Why not start talking positive, and you might find that things change in your life. But she said to herself, uh, if I can just touch the hem of his garment, I will be healed. Right? In other words, I'm not carrying this for the rest of my life. I know what Jesus has done for other people, and if Jesus can do it for them, he can do it for me. I just got to get to him. Why don't we think that way? 
Why don't we think that way? He loves you. He cares about you. He paid a price for you as well. So upon getting close to him, the Bible says she reached out and touched him. Now, she wasn't just touching him with her hand as others around him had been touching him, but nothing dramatic takes place in their life. So she was not just touching him with her hand, she was touching him by faith. I've said before that the currency of this world is money. The currency of the kingdom is faith. Right? The Bible says uh, uh, in Hebrews, I think it's Hebrews chapter 2, I think it says that, that the people in the desert, the, the people that were wandering in the desert, the word of God came to them, but nothing took place because they did not mingle it with faith. Maybe chapter 3. You've got you to gotta, if, if, you take the promises of God and you've got to mingle it with faith. Faith is the currency of the kingdom. Faith is what brings things to pass. And so she uh, touched him by faith. She had an assurance that if she could just touch the hem of his garment, she would be healed of her affliction. The storm in her life would be still, and she would find herself at peace once again. And he said to her when she did, Daughter, your faith has made you will go in peace. What did he do? He silenced the storm of her affliction. Once again, I want us to recognize that all throughout this chapter in Mark, Jesus is bringing peace to the storms that are attacking and ranging among the lives of the people that live in the day that Jesus is in. This lady's storm of affliction was stilled, and like her, many others found peace in the midst of their storms. I want you to know, Jesus is still in the business of stilling storms in the lives of those who will put their trust in him. Are you facing a storm of affliction? The Bible teaches in Matthew 8, 16 and 17, when evening had come, they brought to him many who were demon-possessed, and he cast out the spirits with a word and healed all who were sick, that it might be fulfilled what was spoken by Isaiah the prophet. He took our infirmities, our infirmities and he bore our afflictions. Matthew 10, 10, 7 through 8, he tells his disciples that just as I've been doing, now I'm going to send you out, and here's what I want you to do. Matthew 10, 7 through 8, as you go, preach, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand, and when you preach, here's what I want you to do. I want you to heal the sick, so uh, uh, still the storm of affliction in their life. I want you to cleanse the lepers still the storm of affliction in their life. I want you to raise the dead, still the storm of death in their life. And that's the next one that we're getting to. And cast out demons, still the storm of the demonic in their life, because freely you've received and freely give. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Praise the Lord. Last one. Silencing the storms of death or in this particular case, a storm of death. Mark 5, 35 through 42, while Jesus was still speaking, and, and, and let me just kind of paint the picture here. Jairus had come to, to tell Jesus, my daughter's sick at home, will you come and lay hands on her? Jesus said, I'm on my way. In the middle of going there, the woman with the issue of blood sneaks up through the crowd and touches him, and all of a sudden Jesus is, is, is uh, captivated by the fact that power had gone out of him and he wants to find out what's going on. And so what's happening is that Jesus got detoured. In the middle of this detour, right, uh, we get to our text, while Jesus was still speaking, some came from the ruler of the synagogue's house, because that's who had gone to Jesus, who said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? And as soon as Jesus heard that word that was spoken, he turned to the ruler of the synagogue, I added that in there, but he said to him, do not be afraid, only believe. 
and he permitted no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. Sometimes I think we need to understand that why didn't he let anybody else go into the house? Because Jesus doesn't want a climate of unbelief. Sometimes, we're not talking about getting rid of people in your life, but sometimes for certain periods when you're going through things, you've got to move unbelief out of the room. If you call somebody and every time you get through talking to them, you become discouraged, you become despondent, you become full of unbelief, don't talk to those people anymore. You, you call somebody else and every time you talk to them, they filled you up, you get excited, you get full of faith, you believe that's the person you need to talk to. Now, you can come back and talk to this other person when you're full of faith and you want to encourage them, but when you're in need of somebody to strengthen you, you need to put other people out of the room. You hearing what I'm saying? So, um, and he permitted no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John. Then he came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue and he saw a tumult. What is a tumult? A storm. It's chaos. It's a, it's a, in this particular case, everybody's weeping and crying and throwing dust into the air, ashes into the air, doing all that kind of stuff. He saw all that. And those who wept and wailed loudly, and when he came in, he said to them, Why make this commotion and weep? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they ridiculed him. But when he had put them all outside, like I said, you know, obviously we're in two different camps here. I'm believing God for a miracle, and you're celebrating a death. Right? And uh, so he took the father and mother of the child and those who were with him and entered where the child was lying. He took the child by the hand and said to her, Talitha Kumi, which is translated, little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately, <laughs> it's awesome, the girl arose and walked, for she was 12 years of age. And they, now I want you to know, who is they? Not just the people who are in the room. But I believe that Jesus took this girl, took her outside, showed everybody that was weeping and wailing, and I believe now, not just the people in the room, but now everybody outside, uh, uh, they were overcome, not with grief, not with wailing, but with amazement, because Jesus silenced the storm of death. While Jesus was on his way, he was interrupted, as I told you before, uh, and it reminded me of John 11, 25 to 26, when there was another guy that was dead, and his sisters wanted him to come, and he waited four days before he came, and spent a lot of time in the grave. And when he got there, uh, said, they said to him, Lord, if you had been there, my brother would be alive. And he said to him, he said to, um, and I'm not sure if this was Mary or Martha, I should have wrote it down. He said, Jesus said to her, I am, not I will be, or not I could have been, I am, that's what I was telling you before, I am Jehovah Jireh, not if you're doing good, not if you're doing bad, not if everything's going great, I am Jehovah Jireh, I am Jehovah Tzidkenu, I am Jehovah Shalom, I am Jehovah uh, Jireh, I am the resurrection and the life. I believe you can add another name to God. I am willing. He says, he who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. And they turned to her and said, do you believe this? Jesus told the ruler in the synagogue, and they're hearing this news, this news, do not be afraid, only believe. I don't believe that means that uh, you don't feel fear, you don't experience fear. What he, I believe what he was saying is that don't let fear and the report of fear keep you from what is potentially available if you will keep your eyes on me. Right? 
I, I think people say it all the time. Um, I, don't, I don't know if it's biblical, but we, it's not necessarily put this way. Uh, courage is not the absence of fear, right? But the presence of, in our particular case, it would be the presence of faith. Abraham wavered not through unbelief, but he grew strong in faith. Now, when we read that, we say, well, wait a minute. He wavered not by not having unbelief. No, I, don't, I believe the Lord showed me something different. I know I can't necessarily take you there. When he showed it to me, it was like that. It got a revelation. He wavered not when he was walking through an incredible period of unbelief. When unbelief was hitting him hard, he kept walking. Why? Because God said, Abraham, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to multiply your descendants. And this land that you're walking through, I'm going to give it to you. And I want to tell you something. Sometimes you go through periods of time where the enemy is unleashed in your life. And I'm not talking about, oh, you know, you're sick or this and all that kind of stuff. Yes, he can, you know, that, he's the author of that too as well. I'm not necessarily talking about that. But for some reason, you are battling with unbelief. You've been going through something. You've been believing something. But it hasn't happened. You thought it was going to happen in a day. You thought it was going to happen in a week. You thought it was going to happen in a month. You thought it was going to happen in a couple of months. But you've been fighting this thing for a year, two years, three years. And what do you do? Well, I guess it's not. And the enemy comes along. Well, God isn't who he says he is. Or God did it for other people. He must not love you. You must not have any faith. All these kind of things. And you go through periods of time when the enemy is just there bombarding you. It's like he's got a megaphone and he's talking to you. Nobody else can hear it, but you can hear it. And it sounds like he's on, you know, right next to you. And you say, I rebuke you. I go. But he's right there on the other side. And he's just, why are you going? Why does this happen? Why do you go through these seasons? I don't know. But that's what I imagine Abraham was going through at this particular time. But somewhere inside of Abraham, Abraham, I believe if I was there, I can't prove it to you, but I believe he just said, God promised me this land. I don't know why. I don't understand everything, but I'm going to keep on walking. I'm going to keep on walking. I'm going to keep on walking. Yes, I hear all this. Yes, I hear these reports. Yes, I hear all this. All this stuff is going on inside of me. But God said, and I'm going to keep on walking. He said, how can, you, how can you say that? Because Abraham, when God told him to take Isaac, who is the promised child, through whom the promises of God were going to come, and go up on the mountain and sacrifice Isaac, Abraham said to himself, and it says in Hebrews chapter 11, he reasoned within himself that if God's asking me to do this, he must be able to raise him from the dead because God promised me that through Isaac I shall have my inheritance. Are you hearing what I'm saying? That don't mean on the way up he wasn't thinking, he wasn't all this kind of stuff. He just said, God must be able to raise him from the dead. And I want to tell you something. Uh, whenever God speaks something to you, and I'm talking about there are some things he speaks to you so clearly, you can hold on to that. I'll tell you, I got so much mileage out of that one thing that God spoke to me, and I'm, I'm going to get as much mileage as I can out of it. And he said to me, when I was lamenting that one day about my sons, I didn't have any sons. I had two daughters. I love my daughters. wouldn't trade them for anything. But for some reason, I was going through a period of time when I said, I don't have a son. I don't have somebody to carry on my name, you know, whatever the case may be. And, and, uh, and because my daughters say, I'm I'm changing my name first chance I get. <laughs> Maybe that got me to thinking. I don't know. But anyway, I, was, I don't have any sons. And the Lord spoke to me. I said, your son-in-laws will be better to you than if you had your own sons. And so my daughter sometimes said, well, I don't need to get married. I'm going to be single for the rest of my life. And I'll tell them, this is what the Lord spoke to me. My son-in-laws will be better to me than my own sons. And, and so you're going to get married one day. No, you can't say that to me. That's not going to happen. I, 
whatever. I know what the Lord spoke to me. When I'm, when I'm uh, been going, and I've had to battle sickness, and I've had to battle injuries, I've had to battle uh, things uh, you don't know when you're, when you're uh, the point person, how the enemy comes after you and attacks you and all the things that he does in your life. And all of a sudden, you're battling fear, you're battling doubt, you're battling these things. And we're not talking about internal fears, we're talking about demonic presence that comes and tries to mess with you and tries to sidetrack you and tries to get you to do all kinds of things. And all of a sudden, I'll remember, oh, you're, you're not going to make it through this. What if you die of COVID? What if this all happens in my life? And I remember all of a sudden the promise comes, my son-in-laws will be better to me than my own sons. What does that mean? I'm going to see my son-in-laws one day because I'm going to interact with them. And God told me they're going to be better to me than if I had my own sons. So devil, you're a liar because God promised me. I don't care what I'm hearing. I don't care what you're saying. I believe the promise of God in my life. Are you hearing what I'm saying? That's what we have to do. We have to believe and trust the promises of God in our life. Again, I don't know how I got on. The, let's see if I can get back. <laughs> I keep taking these rabbit trails because I really like rabbits. So, Jesus not only stilled the raging storm of death in the life of this household, but he, he has overcome and stilled the storm of death for all those who place their trust in him. We, we're in this congregation tonight. Just to be honest, all the kids are upstairs, right? So uh, most of us, not all of us, most of us here on the latter ends of life, not on the former ends of life. You might say, well, I'm going to live to be 140 years old. Well, that's great. That's wonderful. But chances are, the Bible says God gives us 70, maybe 80 years. We're grateful for those. We hope everybody will live through 90 or 100. That's what we're believing for. But when you get, I'm, I'm going to be 59 this year, and I begin to realize this. The years behind me were greater than the years in front of me. So I know one day that I'm not going to be here anymore. My kids don't think about it, but the older I get, I think about it. But it's not, it's not it used to be a, a kind of a, a thing that I, I you know, I kind of concerned about, you know, and all these kind of things. Because you think you're going to live forever until you don't. Right? And the, and the older I get, the more funerals I have to do. And you start realizing, you know, you know, this at some point death is going to hit us all unless the Lord comes back. Death is going to hit us all, right? But the reality is, as Christians, death is not the end. Really, for everybody, death is not the end. But what I'm saying, death is a transition to an even greater life. As we get older, we have pains, you know. <laughs> There's a guy named Randy Clark, and one of the ways the Lord talks to him is he talks to him through words of knowledge, and his words of knowledge for healing often comes through feeling pains that he doesn't carry on his own. And, you know, so oh, anybody here, I have a shoulder pain, it's just fleeting, but it's word of knowledge. Somebody here has a shoulder, yeah, I got a word of knowledge, you know, oh, my hip's hurting. Is anybody here? But as you get older, that becomes less reliable. Because <laughs> you don't know if that's a word of knowledge or just you. You hear what I'm saying? So we're, 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 we're getting older in life. As we get older in life, you have the hope, you have the joy of the Lord. You still have to battle. You still have to do with things. But the promise that we have is that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Hebrews 2, 14 and 15. As, and as much then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same, that through death he might destroy him, the devil, who had the power of death, that is the devil, and release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. I got you. 
because I, I hold the keys of death, hell, and the grave is what the enemy used to say. So you need to do whatever I say. And now it's like, Jesus has the keys of death, hell, and the grave. I don't have to do whatever you say. You can't threaten me. It's like Jesus said, you would have no power over me unless it came to you from on high. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Jesus holds the keys of death, hell, and the grave. 1 Corinthians 15, 54-55. So when this corruptible heart has put on incorruption and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? 2 Timothy 1, 8 through 12, but, but has now been revealed by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, to which I was appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher of the Gentiles. What I'm trying to get you to understand is that Jesus silenced death, not just in the life of this person, but he silenced the fear and the power of death when he went to the cross of Calvary. And if we will put our faith in him, I want you to know that one of the promises of life that the deposit of the Spirit guarantees us is that we will live in eternity forever with the Lord. No more pain, no more suffering, no more fear, no more depression, no, none of this stuff. We will live in the presence of God and enjoy the blessings and the fullness of God forevermore because Jesus silenced the storms of death. So, what we see here today is we see, we see Jesus who had authority to silence the storms of life. He silenced the natural storm. He silenced the demonic storm. He silenced the storm of affliction. And he silenced the storm of death. What an awesome God we serve. And I want you to know, he has not gotten off the throne. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever, if you're going through some kind of storm in your life, it doesn't matter what it is. It doesn't matter what, it, what the enemy's telling you. I want you to know that if you can just get to Jesus, press through to Jesus, get Jesus' attention, Jesus has the authority to silence the storms in your life by saying, Peace! Be still. If we were using current vernacular, I'm pretty sure he would say, Storm! Shut up! And the storm would go, and peace would come.